We're going to be reading Hebrews chapter 2, verses 10 through 18. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family, so Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters. In the assembly, I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, he says, here am I and the children God has given me. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Thank you, Sarah, very much. Please keep the Bibles open there, page 1202. We were reflecting last week with the writer to the Hebrews on Psalm 8 and seeing how humanity frustrated becomes humanity fulfilled in the Lord Jesus. And we continue that line of thinking this evening with these verses following. Let's pray as we come to consider them together. Lord God, we are very quick to grumble often, and slow to praise. And we pray tonight that you'd be fixing our eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, taking our eyes away from those small things we might grumble about, and fixing them on him, and filling our hearts with praise and thanksgiving. This we pray for your glory. Amen. Well, I've recently been reading a very helpful book called Love Thy Body. There it is. You can see my underlinings in there, so you can see I definitely have read it. Uh, By an American apologetics professor called Nancy Percy. And I found it very, very helpful. I'd, I'd recommend it. Close to the beginning of this book comes a rather startling claim. I'm just going to read it out. And if the first few sentences sound a little bit too complicated. Just listen for where it's landing. She writes, the key to understanding all the controversial issues of our day is that the concept of the human being has been fragmented into an upper and a lower story. Secular thought today assumes a body-person split with the body defined in the fact realm by empirical science, the lower story, and the person defined in the values realm as the basis for rights, 
the upper story. This dualism has created a fractured, fragmented view of the human being in which the body is treated as separate from the authentic self. Does that last phrase ring true for the kind of thinking we see out there in the world? The body is treated as separate from the authentic self. When someone might say, well, what does it matter if I, what I do with my own body? Or for the person who feels the very deep pain of not feeling at home in their body, doesn't feel like who they are, separate from their person. So maybe let's change it. Or for a person who might say, well, there might be a human body growing in the womb there, but at what stage does it become a person and therefore acquire rights? And so on and so on and so on, for a whole range of very hard issues around life's beginning, life's end, and everything in between. The body is being treated as separate from the authentic self. And we as Christians can very easily slip into that way of thinking as well. You may be sat there thinking, well, I'm not sure I really have that much of a problem with that kind of thinking. Now, in the early days after Jesus ascended to heaven, there were various strands of thoughts around that were labeled Gnosticism. And in these, the spirit was valued over the body and there was a feeling that you needed to be liberated from the body. And very often in the meantime, as you waited to be liberated, it didn't matter all that much what you did with your body. And we can drift into that thinking again, very easily. Spirit, more important than matter. The authentic self really has nothing to do with the body. And all sorts of consequences follow for our views of what is right and wrong. But what happens to that, that kind of thinking, when we fix our eyes on Jesus? Which is what the verse after our passage is, is asking us to do. That's where our passage is heading towards. It says, therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus and all that we've read about him. What What do we see when we do that? Well, you see that you cannot describe what Jesus has done for us. The great salvation he has won for us and the place he is taking us without talking in flesh and blood terms. You just can't. It says in verse 14 in our passage, he shared in our humanity immediately after it says, since the children have flesh and blood. It says, verse 17, he had to be made like us, fully human, in every way. It says he suffered. It says in the verse just before our passage that he tasted death for us. And the ancient world saw those claims about Jesus and just thought, well, your religion is mad. And the writer to the Hebrews knows that. So in the original Greek here, the last word in verse 9 is death. The first word in verse 10 is fitting. It was fitting because the writer knew it would have sounded mad. Your God tastes death? 
the most exalted being in the universe, tastes death. That can't be right. And if we pause and take a step back, we can see how this kind of thinking can be as shocking in our day and age to the issues that are around today, where the body is seen as separate from the authentic self. And what we do with our bodies is very often of no great moral significance, it is thought. Your God takes on flesh and blood? Really? And dies? Oh, well, then he must have been liberated from his body. No, no, he was raised from the dead. Oh, well, then, and how many Christians might think this? He, he must have left his body behind when he ascended to heaven. No. <laughs> we believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus and the bodily ascension. And the angels said to those who were looking to see where he'd gone, they said he will return in the same way you saw him leave. See, when God created us and gave us bodies, it was not a mistake. It wasn't temporary. Bodies were part of the very good world before the fall. When he came to redeem us, it therefore involved a body. Before and after, our redemption is an embodied redemption. And when we are in the new creation, it will be in resurrected bodies. So if you're puzzled by many of the ethical debates that are kicking around in our time, fix your eyes on Jesus and see the perfect salvation of embodied humanity. And if you don't have energy to be puzzled by all those debates, because actually life in the body is jolly hard and wearisome, well then too, Fix your eyes on Jesus, because he's an embodied saviour. He's been tested too. He's our sympathetic priest. Two headings for this evening. Fix your eyes on Jesus, humanity's pioneer. Fix your eyes on Jesus, humanity's priest. Firstly then, fix your eyes on Jesus, humanity's pioneer. He came not just to share our humanity, but to transform it, to lead us to a destination. Verse 10, it's a destination called glory, where Jesus, the Son, is, and in which we are now also called sons and daughters. And in bringing us to glory, it was fitting, says the writer, that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Now that last phrase about being made perfect may sound a bit confusing at first, and we'll come on to that in a moment. But firstly, that word pioneer. Jesus is the pioneer of our salvation, the founder, the leader. And just to state the obvious, to be a pioneer, you start, where the rest of the people are and you forge a trail to somewhere new so that others can follow you. That's what a pioneer does. That's what Jesus has done. Humanity and God were separated because of God's right judgment on our sin. 
paradise could not remain paradise with more than one person acting like God. So we had to leave on the day we decided we knew better. So there's, there's a separation. How is it overcome? How do we get back to God? Well, not simply in a spiritual sense. So ask yourselves, when you tell people the gospel, how often could it actually just have come across in a purely spiritual sense? We don't just get beamed up into salvation. God doesn't just in the sky do some cosmic accounting to clear our debts and, and open the door back to him. No, because we were made as embodied creatures. And that wasn't a mistake. And so we are brought back to him as embodied creatures too. So to do that, he became flesh. He came into the world, fully God, fully man, flesh and blood, so that he is exactly where we are. And then as our pioneer, he can forge a trail back to God and he brings us to glory. He takes all of our sin on himself. His body is broken for us. His blood is shed. He suffers all that we deserve, the punishment that is due to us because of God's righteous anger at our sin, so that through his suffering and death, he becomes our perfect saviour, humanity's pioneer. That confusing phrase there in that verse. Do you see what it means now? Of course, Jesus morally was perfect all along. Of course he was. But in terms of being the saviour, the pioneer, it was his death that perfected him for that role, for that task. Humanity's pioneer who comes to where we are, just like us, except without sin, and who forges a trail back to God so that we body and soul can follow full humanity, fully brought back to God. And so our passage emphasizes he, he shows solidarity with us on the journey. You see it in verse 11? We're of the same family, all of one. He calls us brothers and sisters. And then he speaks to us these quotations from the Old Testament. Jesus speaks these words to us. Verse 12, he says, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters, speaking of us. In the assembly, I will sing your praises. Do you know where that quotation's from? It's Psalm 22. The one that starts, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And which ends celebrating the vindication of the psalmist as, and, and as he talks about his brothers and sisters. Now that's a comforting choice for a quotation isn't it to speak of solidarity on the journey if you're feeling at your very lowest in such deep suffering that you might even ask has God forsaken me your pioneer has been there more so and he is now risen and exalted and he calls you sisters and brothers that is comforting. Then we get two more quotes from, these come from Isaiah 8. And there it's a point in Isaiah's ministry where barely anyone was listening to what he was saying. So he's just told to seal up the prophecies until the time when 
people will see that they were true. Now that may resonate with you as a Christian. Barely anyone listens to, to what you're saying. They think you're mad. It resonated, I'm sure, with those who read this letter, people around them saying, why do you believe all that nonsense? Well, your pioneer has been there. Not that place where no one listens to you. And he says, I will put my trust in him. Here am I and the children God has given me. He trusted in God and God delivered him. So you can trust in him too because he's your pioneer. He's been there and he's forged the trail to glory. And therefore, as our pioneer, we're not just comforted by his solidarity with us on the journey. We're also comforted by the assurance of the destination. He's been here and he's got there. And therefore, specifically, death no longer holds the terrors it once did. Verse 14, he stepped into the material world, took on flesh and blood and shared in our humanity. And by his death, he has broken the power of the devil, who either holds death over us as such an awful fear because he reminds us of our guilt, and how we're not fit to meet with God. Or he simply distracts us from ever thinking about it. So that it is a real fear. It is there. But we just try and ignore it. So the devil comes to some as a preacher of fire and brimstone. And to others as just an insipid humanist. Well fix your eyes on Jesus. Our pioneer. Because He has got to the destination. The devil's power is broken. Now we may still be nervous about death. And that is natural. We don't like suffering. And we don't like taking a step that we've never taken before. So nervousness is natural. But death doesn't hold the terrors that it once held. Our pioneer... He has taken that step into death and out the other side into glory. So we can live our lives knowing that death, when it comes, is but the gateway to glory. We needn't be one of those people obsessed with trying to avoid death as long as we possibly can, enslaved by the fear of death and so unable to live, or unable to live the kind of life we should be living for God. When the time comes and our body deteriorates or when maybe we feel our mind starts to deteriorate and we're becoming unable to communicate with those around us, hold on to this. We have a pioneer and he has beaten death and he helps us, verse 16. Although actually it turns out that's a slightly odd translation. It's obviously true. He does help us. But the word is more to do with he takes hold of us. And that is a tremendous help. He is not simply a pioneer who walks into the void and then calls back to us, your turn. 
No, he's a pioneer who does something that perhaps no other pioneer does. He takes hold of us and he gets us there. Which if your body is deteriorating, if your mind is deteriorating, or if life in the body seems for whatever reason just so wearisome, that is a huge comfort, isn't it? He is the pioneer who takes hold of you. And he'll keep hold of you. Ten years of dementia, he'd keep hold of you. Hold on to that. He is the pioneer. But only because he is the pioneer who came into our space and became fully human, like us, in every way, our embodied saviour, and he picks you up with your crushed spirit and your dodgy knee, and he, even if you got, even if you know the pain yourself of being fragmented as a person, and, and you, you don't feel that integrity for whatever reason, whatever else, he says, I'm, I'm going to pick, pick you all up and I'm going to get you to glory, all of you the whole of you, to where I am. Fix your eyes on him, humanity's pioneer. And secondly, fix your eyes on him, humanity's priest. Verse 17 goes on, he had to be made like us, fully human in every way, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service of God. Now, priests in the Old Testament, they were a key part of the apparatus that kept God and his people talking to each other, that kept them in relationship. Not because of God being fickle in any way, but because we are. And we keep going our own way and treating God as though we don't think he's any good. And there'll be a thousand ways that you've done that in the last week. So atonement, at one meant, needs to be made because continually... We are doing things that mean we are not at one with God. And so that's what the priest did. One fickle human being representing other fickle human beings coming to God with sacrifices so that God's anger at our sin would not fall on us. So that our sins could be transferred symbolically to other animals and sent away into the wilderness, taken away for good. And it was all, of course, pointing to Jesus and what he would do only with him once and for all. He becomes human so that he can be our priest, making atonement for us by his body broken and his blood shed. He became our priest, all the punishment falling on him, all our sins laid on him, taken away. For good. And he stands now, as it were, between us and God, not a fickle human being representing us, but a faithful high priest. One who is entirely faithful to God. That's our priest. He died for us. He is at the right hand of the majesty on high. Chapter 1 says, sat down. Because his sacrifice was enough. 
for whatever you have done. Whatever you have done. And when you're tempted, or simply when you're tested, and life is just too hard, too full of pain, too empty of joy, he is full of mercy. And he's able to help. Because he's been here. He was tempted like we never will be. He knows the full force of temptation. We don't because we always give in to it before we get that far. He knows the full force of temptation. And he was tested. Like we will never be tested because we could not withstand what he went through. And maybe in various ways you might just sit back and say, really? Really? Tested more than us? And just to take the example that's been coming up through the sermon, did, did, did he ever know that kind of fragmentation of self that, that I might feel as a person or someone I know might feel? They, they, they don't feel body, mind, spirit kind of aligning properly? Did did he ever know that? It's been tested in that way? Well, he who knew no sin was made to be sin. And he hung on the cross and was made to be something entirely different from what he knew himself to be. He's taken fragmentation and he's brought it through to fully integrated resurrection. He's been tested. He knows the full power of temptation. He is merciful to us. Fix your eyes on humanity's priest who keeps us at one with God. Fix your eyes on humanity's pioneer who will get us there embodied creatures to the glory we were created for. Fix your eyes, says the author to the Hebrews, on him, humanity's perfect saviour. Let us pray. And it is our prayer, Lord God, that through your Holy Spirit, you would be fixing our eyes on our Saviour. And that we would find salvation for our whole self in him. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have been where we are, And that you are in glory. Humanity is fulfilled, perfected, redeemed in you. Help us to follow you and keep hold of us when our strength fails. We pray it in your name and longing for the day 
when we're with you. Amen.